look you to turn in your Bibles this morning, if you would, to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 2. 1 Corinthians, chapter 2, will end this chapter in our discussion this morning. We're going to let the children be dismissed quietly for junior church at this time also. Book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 2. Let me just uh, briefly set the context for what we have covered thus far in our study of 1 Corinthians. I think it's been very clear that the centerpiece of 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 is the gospel or the good news of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Paul points that out. If you just look back with me, look back at verse 18. Paul says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the life-changing presence of God. Go to verse 30 of chapter 1, down towards the end of the chapter. The Apostle Paul says, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So there's this movement in the logic or reasoning of Paul from uh, this diversity that makes up the church and from the division that is present in the church towards a position of unity that is founded upon the work of Jesus Christ at the cross. Chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul speaks about his message to the church as the central point of unity. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So there's this attempt to address division in the church, and what Paul tends to focus on is the cross of Christ is the centerpiece of the church. Everyone moving in that direction will therefore be experiencing a deeper degree of unity. And so when he is addressing division in the church, Paul goes to the cross of Christ. Why? It is the ground of our forgiveness. It is the place where we become sons and daughters of God. We are born again by the grace of God that is revealed at the cross. And so as you talk about division, as you talk about overcoming it, you need to get to the cross. Any claim or insight about the cross of Christ in the life of a believer, however, is always owing to the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. Meaning this. Nobody comes to God unaided, without the drawl of God and without the word of God. And so in verse 5 of chapter 2, Paul says this, so that your faith might rest not on men's wisdom, but on the power of God. And then end of verse, or beginning of verse 10, which is where we ended last week. God has revealed it, his wisdom to us by the Spirit. Okay, so you find this move towards the cross, and then the Spirit of God, who is the unifying person of the Trinity, working within the church to bring us into the body, to make us one, so that we can advance for His glory. Now, the next question that comes up then is this. How do I, once I have been drawn into the body of Christ by the cross work of Christ, revealed to me by the Spirit of God, how do you know then how you ought to live in that new sphere and realm of relationship? How do you understand the plan of God? How do you know what the will of God is? Earlier this week, it was on a Monday afternoon, I was uh, assembling some chairs for my daughter, uh, Rebecca. I opened the box, put all the 
parts on the uh, ping pong table and started to seek to assemble these chairs. I was amazed at how many parts there were to these chairs. And I realized I had a problem when uh, you know, things start looking more like an airplane than a chair. I realized, you know what, there's a problem with how this is going together. There were the legs going in the wrong directions. And uh, the solution to my problem was what? Yeah. And I'm thinking, what are they? Okay. What are directions? Well, directions are essential for efficient work, right? Uh, on Friday, uh, actually it was on Friday um, about 1 o'clock, I was driving my daughter home from college. Drove out Thursday night, brought her back on Friday. Heading east on Route 70 in Ohio. Realize there's a bypass of Columbus. I'm not familiar with the bypass. I get on the bypass, which is 270 south, and I start seeing signs that say 270 south, Cincinnati. Okay, I think Cincinnati is south. I don't want to be going to Cincinnati. But I thought, you know, I thought the bypass is going to work its way around the city and get me back on Route 70 east. I, being a man, stopped and asked for directions. I really did. I really did. I promise I did that. Erica, can you testify to that? We stopped at a Toyota dealership, right? Okay, just facts help increase the validity of the story and the truthfulness of it in the ears of the hearers. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't wasting time going the wrong direction. The best way to, it's not my normal way to resolve it, but it is the best way to resolve it. Stop and ask somebody if this road goes to the destination in a way that is efficient and wise. Okay? When you want to know how to get to a destination, when you want to know how to accomplish something, read the directions, ask for directions. And folks, this same principle is true for the Christian experience. When you want to know how to live in the body of Christ, how to get along with each other, with all of our complexities and personalities and all of those things, how do you know how to get along? How do we overcome the divisions that obviously the Apostle Paul is addressing in the inspired Word of God because he knows that they are part of the Christian experience when we are together. Our flesh has this tendency to override, to overwhelm. And to cause division is something that God loves passionately and dearly. So this morning, I want to look at Paul's, in a sense, response to that, which begins in the second half of verse 10. How do I know how to live within the body of Christ? How do I know the blessing of God and His Word in my life today? How is it communicated to us? And what I, what I want to do this morning is have a discussion with you about <clears throat> and concerning how we got this, how we got this, and how this is made clear to every believer. Because it is crucial that we understand this, because this, we say, is the Holy Bible. It is the Word of God. It is directions for life. And the other day, I was foolish. Opened up the box, saw all the parts, and figured I could figure it out. And I probably could have eventually, but not until I had messed up a couple pieces, gluing them in the wrong spots, screwing them in the wrong spots, and created a complex issue. When if I had followed the directions, it would have gone along a lot more easily and wisely. My goal this morning is to encourage you to understand the value and blessing of God's Word in your life today. To understand that this book that lies on your lap this morning and 
hopefully lies on your lap through the week or on your breakfast table or on your desk, wherever it might be, that that book would be valued by us as the church. And I want to ask this question. Why should I value this book? So that I create and cultivate a habit of being in it, of listening to it. I don't care how you get it done, but that you get time in the Word of God, listening to the voice of God. Why is it valuable? Because if I understand its value and why it's valuable, I'll spend more time in it. The first thought I want to communicate this morning is this. This book, this Word from God, is valuable because it is God's revelation. I'm going to give you three words. One is revelation, one is inspiration, one is illumination. Okay? This book is God's revelation. You say, Pastor Tim, what is revelation from God? And here's what it simply is. It is God's kind and gracious act of self-disclosure. Okay, it is God's kind and gracious act of self-disclosure. It is the means by which we understand what God wants, what He expects, how He feels about us, the truth of the cross of Christ. Things that we would not know apart from God breaking through and making it known to us. And so in verse 10, Paul says, God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. Now, in context specifically, what is it that God has revealed? What's been the theme in chapter 1 and chapter 2? What is the centerpiece of God's revelation? We'll put it in that way, the good news. Right? The gospel of Christ is what God has revealed. Where has He captured it? He's captured it on the pages of Scripture. There I learn a lot more than the gospel, but it is there that I first come into contact with the good news that is revealed through the life of Jesus Christ. Now, what is it that God reveals by the Holy Spirit? Look at verse 10. Second half. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. What does the Holy Spirit show us? He shows us truth and thoughts about God that we would not know apart from His revelation. His gracious and free self-disclosure. Paul calls them the deep things of God. What is he saying? The more you delve into this book, the more significantly you will be amazed by the gracious plan of God, and the more your life will be transformed to be like the Savior. He talks about redemption, about his rescue of sinners, about his attributes, about his plans, about his love, about his work in salvation, about his desire for morality in our lives with exact knowledge. God communicates his heart through the word. These truths are truths, as we learned last week a little bit, that the unaided mind cannot grasp and understand. Okay, so what is revelation? It is God through the Holy Spirit imparting His truth to people who otherwise would not have grasped it. The unaided mind, a mind apart from God, can't grasp the glories of what God is saying to us. Why don't you look at verse 11? Because it's fascinating how Paul then says this. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? Fascinating thought. What is Paul doing? He's giving an illustration of how we know the mind of God. Who among men knows the thoughts of an individual man unless he discloses them? You ever have this happen to you? You 
have your wife illuminate your life with truth about her feelings. And the response of most men is, I didn't know you felt that way. Right? When did the husband begin to understand how the wife felt? When she communicated her heart, her mind to him, then he understood what she was thinking. This text argues that the same thing is true of God. Only an individual person knows their own heart, their pains, their fears, their joys, their contentments. And until you speak, people around you may read your external body language, but they don't really know what's in your mind and heart until you reveal it. What is the Spirit of God doing? This is glorious. He is, second half of the verse, verse 11. He says, in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Okay, how do I know what God is thinking? What has the Spirit of God revealed about the mind and heart of God? I know about the heart of God by the Spirit of God. Now, what is he doing? I believe that Paul is drawing an exact correspondence between God and the Spirit of God himself. Just like I have an individual he has a mind. When that mind is revealed, it's not, it's not a separate entity. It's the same person speaking. Okay? When I say, okay, here's the individual. You hear the individual speak. His mind is letting you know what his thoughts and intentions are. That is what's in his person. Same thing is true in relationship to divine revelation. When the Spirit of God speaks, there is an exact correspondence between what the Spirit is saying and what God himself is saying. What you start to find revealed in this text is what? A clear indication of the workings of the Trinity. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who pays the price for our sin. Father in heaven, who sends the Son. Holy Spirit, who reveals the work of the Spirit in the heart of sinners so that they can come to faith in Christ. How do we know the heart of God in relationship to salvation? How do we know the heart of God in relationship to life? Because He has revealed His thoughts on the pages of Scripture through the work of His Spirit. The Spirit is qualified to do this because He knows all that God knows, Himself being God. His understanding of God, and I love this thought, His understanding of God is exhaustive. It is exact. It is perfect. It is accurate. All of God's mind is known by His Holy Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? So that when I pick up the Word of God, I can hear the voice of God. Folks, why should I treasure this book? Because through this book, God speaks to His children. And the Holy Spirit turns the lights on in relationship to Scripture so that we can hear the heart of God, know the love of God. Realize this. In the book of Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, they hid themselves in shame because they knew they had offended the heart of God. They did not yet know the mercy of God and grace, and love of God. Until God came walking in the cool of day, and what did He do? He uttered His heart to them. Called them to account for their sin, made provision for their forgiveness, brought them back into a right relationship with Himself. Isn't that beautiful? How did they know that God wanted to restore them to a relationship with Himself? He came and spoke to them. Folks, how do you know the heart of God? You need to spend time in this very precious word that he has, in our first thought, revealed to us. The amazing thing about the Bible is this. We can know what God is thinking. Why? 
because on the pages of the Bible, he has revealed powerfully and gloriously his heart to us. How we were on his mind in eternity past. How deep the Father's love for us really is. We know it because he has put it in print and signed it with his blood. So there is revelation. One of the ways that we know the mind of God. The second thought that comes out in this text, and that's just verses 11 and 10 and 11. Look at verses 11 and 12 then with me if you would. You're going to find a bit of a, or 12 and 13, a progression. Paul says, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given to us. This is what, and I'm going to focus on the pronouns. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, expressing spiritual truth or thoughts in spiritual words. Fascinating passage when you first read it. it. It seems a bit confusing, and then at the same time, it seems very plain on the surface. One of the things that I want you to look at is, is, is the use of pronouns. If you go up to verse 10, Paul says, God has revealed it to us. Okay? Now, he could have said, God revealed it to you. But he says, God revealed it to us. When we come to verse 12, we... And it, it, you start to get the feeling that Paul is talking about a group of people that God has selected to give his word, who would then record that word in the Bible. And that recorded word, we look at today and hold in our lives and say, this is the voice of God. Okay? So he's revealing his truth to, I believe, inspired authors. So there's the revelation of God's word. Then there's the inspiration of a human instrument by the work of the Spirit to bring that truth to paper so that you and I can have it laying on our laps today and be able to understand and know the heart of God. So we have not received the Spirit from the world, middle of verse 12, that we may understand what God has freely given to us. This is what we speak. So Paul seems to be indicating a group of individuals who God in his sovereignty has selected to bring through them his inspired word so that you and I can know the heart and mind of God. Very, very powerful thought. What is inspiration? Inspiration in Paul's terms is this. We're speaking what God told us to say. We are communicating the word of God in an authoritative way. What, and, and how does Paul say it? He says, we didn't get this from human understanding. Not from man but the source of Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, he says, is God. He is self-consciously making that claim. That's fascinating, isn't it? Now, these are some basic thoughts that we draw out of the idea of inspiration biblically. It is the process by which the Holy Spirit communicated God's truth to the writers of Scripture. And they knew that that's what God was doing. Paul knows that here. Paul says, of the word of God, God is speaking through me and bringing the word of God into your life through me as an instrument. We have received it from the spirit of God. 2 Samuel 23 and verse 2. Samuel says this, the spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his word was in my tongue. What is Samuel saying? As I am doing this work, I am conscious of the fact that the Spirit of God is leading and guiding and directing. Second Peter 
chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Let me just read this for you real quickly. Fascinating verse. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. Meaning, the writers of the Old Testament didn't sit down and say, I'm going to write a story and see if it comes true. No. How does Peter say it? It didn't come by private interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of men, but men spoke from God, and I love this next statement, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. If you want the reference for that, you might write down 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. There is this sense in which Paul, Peter, Samuel understood that when they were communicating truth from God, God's Spirit was speaking through them. Inspiration is also the process by which God protected the recording of that re revealed truth. Paul talks, a bit as, talks about it as being taught by the Spirit in verse 13. Okay, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truth in spiritual words. One of the things that I want you to understand this morning is this. The result, what we hold on our laps, is that Paul affirmed that the Bible is God's word or God's very breath. His protection of it in the revelation and recording of it extends to the exact words of Scripture, not just the thoughts. But Paul is very conscious to say, we speak not in words taught by him wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing Spirit-given truth in Spirit-guided words. That is powerful. So that when I listen to the Bible, when I read the Word of God, I am listening to the voice of God. The result of that is recorded in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. The Apostle Paul says this. And you might want to write that down. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Here's what Paul says. This is fascinating. All Scripture is God-breathed. Okay, how much of the Old Testament does Paul believe is from God? The answer is very clear, isn't it? All that was understood to be Scripture from the Old Testament was the breath or words of God. And it is therefore useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be equipped for every good work. Folks, think about that. When you hold in your lap the Bible... You have the voice of God. You have the will of God. You have the plan of God. You have the words of God. The source of the Bible, via the Spirit, is God. And it's true, Paul says, of the entire Scriptures. Now, by way of application, let me say this. If this book contains the voice of God, then when I read it and listen to its principles being explained... What is the nature of what it says? What, what is the nature of it? And I would say it is this. Number one, it is authoritative. I am bound to respond to God. God is not giving me suggestions. Okay, someone has said it's not the ten suggestions or the book of second opinions. No. When you read the Bible, you are hearing the voice of God, the word of God. And when it speaks, it is not enough simply that I know it. It is required of me as God's child that I live it in my life. When I read it, I'm hearing the voice of God. And when it speaks, I'm listening to the voice of God. When I ignore 
God's directive. I'm ignoring God. Folks, that's the truth that just settled into my heart. When I ignore what God's word is saying, I'm not simply ignoring a text of scripture. Because it is the very words of God. Protected and preserved. When I ignore it, I am ignoring, I am saying no to God himself. It is also reliable. That is, it is without error and infallible. It is without mistake. Everything that it says will come to pass. Psalm 19, David said this. He said, the law of the Lord is true and righteous altogether. In its entirety, everything that God says is beneficial and helpful for the life of those who seek to love and obey it. As a result of inspiration, it is also powerful. It is the means that God uses to reveal our sin and the Savior. Romans 10, 17 says it is so powerful that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Faith is an expression of trust from someone Ephesians 2, 1 says is dead in trespasses and sin. Dead meaning what? unresponsive, not sensitive to the call and work of God. But when the word of God is applied by the spirit of God, he softens the ground of the heart. He brings about change. Why? Because this word is powerful. Let it sink into your life. Let it affect your life. Let it change your life. 1 Peter 1 and verse 23 says, you have been born again by the precious word of God. It's how you saw your sin. It's how you saw the holiness of God. It's how you saw the Savior and His cross work. And I believe this. The result of inspiration is that we have this book on our lap because God wants us to know those blessings today. It's not just heaven that we long for. No, God has a blessed life that He wants us to enjoy today. And the way we enjoy that life is when we bring our life into alignment with the truth that is revealed in the Word of God. The last word I want to deal with real quick this morning is the word illumination. So we look at revelation, God's gracious act of self-disclosure, inspiration, the means by which God preserves that truth so that it is true and holy altogether, reliable, I can build my life upon it, it is accurate and powerful and authoritative. The last thought is this, illumination. Illumination. Look with me, if you will, verse 14, probably the most familiar verse in this passage. It says, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from God and His Spirit. They are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. They are spiritually made clear and apparent and attractive. That's fascinating, isn't it? This passage, then going into verse 15, describes a second person. The spiritual man makes judgment about all things. The natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. The spiritual man makes judgments and appraises all aspects of life. Two kinds of people are addressed. One is a man who is natural. He is unregenerate. His heart has not been converted by the grace of God. He is as he was when he was born. He has not affected the new birth process that the Spirit of God brings into someone's life. The result is this. When he reads the word of God, it sounds 
it sounds foolish to him. And it's fascinating because the word again that is used for foolishness is the word moroni. It sounds moronic. It, it doesn't make sense. It's like trying to explain to someone who is addicted to a certain kind of pleasure, trying to explain to them that that pleasure is not really satisfying. It sounds odd to them. Why? Because that's all they know is a source of pleasure. But what you're trying to communicate to them is that there is a greater pleasure in freedom in Jesus Christ. But it sounds odd to them. The, uh, on, a, on the show American Idol, which I, I didn't see it, but someone explained this to me and I looked it up on YouTube and I was fascinated by this. The uh, singer, I think I get her name right, Mandisa? Mandisa? How do you say it? I got it right? Okay, Mandisa. African-American lady, phenomenal voice. She chose on American Idol to sing a song that was directed to God. I mean, just blatant praise song. And when she's done singing the song, Simon, one of the guys that's set to what? To appraise the performance of people, looks at her and he says this. He says, I don't get that. I don't get that. I don't understand why you would sing I don't understand this affection, this outpouring of love and passion towards God. I don't get that. Folks, have you ever had that experience? You explain the truth of God's word to someone, or you're sitting with someone listening to the word of God, and the light's not going on for them, and you're saying, it's awesome. Look at God has given us his word. The person without the spirit is saying, I don't get it. I don't get that. Folks, if the truth of God's word makes sense to you, if it lifts your heart, if it thrills your heart, if it fills you with joy in Christ, that is happening because the Spirit of God has taken up residence in your life and is revealing the truthfulness of His Word to you. A person without Christ doesn't understand that. Their heart is not illuminated. And it's fascinating in verse 14 that he goes a step further. Not only do they not accept them, their foolishness to him, he cannot understand them. Think about that. His eyes, when he reads Scripture, are blind to the truth about God that is evident on the pages of the Scripture. He may know it from a perspective of knowledge, but not as a personal relationship or experience. Verse 15, you kind of, you sense, you know, I need relief here. I need a little bit of light. Verse 15, the spiritual man, in contrast, makes judgment about all things, but he himself is not subject to, to any man's judgment. A spiritual person in context is someone who has had their heart brooded upon by the work of the Spirit. They have sensed the conviction of God. They have seen the cross of Christ revealed by the Spirit. And they have experienced the forgiveness of God. And the result is that the Spirit of God has come on them, has come in them, and their life will never be the same. They get morality. They have, and I, I think just the, the essence of illumination biblically is the process by which the Spirit of God shows how His Word applies in specific situations in the life of His children. Folks, that's the blessing of this book, that when you read it, it will show you how to live your life. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things. He has this distinct an exclusive privilege of redeemed people. They have the God-given capacity to grasp, to understand, to evaluate, and to appreciate the value of God's truth. 
Young person, adult this morning, if you know God and His Word, you have a distinct privilege. You are able to make solid choices ethically and morally with clarity. Why? Because that is the work of the Word of God when it is applied by the Spirit of God into your life. He lets you see the difference between morality and immorality, between what is appropriate and what is inappropriate. A person with the Spirit starts to appraise everything in life. Why? Because the Spirit of God is working in them, giving them a sense of what is appropriate and what is inappropriate. He's turning on lights in their life. And things that used to be okay in their life suddenly aren't okay anymore. And I would argue very much that we live in a world in which there is a lack of moral clarity. But a Christian has the Spirit of God, has the Word of God, shining light on the moral decisions of life. A spiritual person can understand, can apply the truth of God's Word to their life. Jesus gave His disciples a promise of this ministry of the Spirit of God in their lives. They, on the eve of His crucifixion, are wrestling with fear because they have been so blessed by the personal presence of God in Jesus. And when He talks about leaving them, they go into panic. Their hearts are twisted. They are deeply troubled. Verse 16 of John 14, He says this, I will ask the Father... And here you're just going to see this work of the Trinity. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor who will be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth that the world cannot accept because it doesn't see him or know him, but you know him because he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. Folks, do you understand what that's saying? That the Spirit of God comes to be His personal presence, to speak into our life the truth of God's Word and to give guidance. Jesus says, I would not leave you as orphans. Verse 26 and 27 give us the result. The Counselor, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, will, and listen to this, He will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I've said to you. You ever had this happen in your life? You're going through a period of struggle, a time of discontentment, of concern, and the Spirit of God brings to mind the Word of God, and you say, ah, yes, ah, yes. And He shows you how that truth that you're reading in Scripture applies to a very specific situation or concern in your life. And you say, ah, yes. That's what Jesus promised to His disciples, folks. To everyone who follows Christ, who seeks to hear from the Word of God, from the Spirit of God in their life, this glorious privilege that the Spirit of God begins to appraise life. And the result is fascinating because at the end of verse 15, he says, this person is judged by no one. Not because Christians are perfect, but because once you have been appraised by God and judged by God, everybody else's judgment becomes what? It's irrelevant. Go to chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians. Just, if you just look across the page in some of your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 3. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. I don't trust my own assessment of my life. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges or appraises me. It's what is Paul saying. I'm going to live my life under the word of God. Then what will people do? Oh, they'll praise you for your life. No, they'll bring criticism to your life. They'll give negative assessments of your life. 
But the response of a Christian who is seeking to live their life by the word of God is, I'm not really being appraised by anybody. Because there is a final appraisal that I'm living for. That from God. So folks, on our laps we hold a precious gift from God. It is revealed by God. It is the thoughts of God. It is inspired by God. That is, when it was recorded, he protected it so that it would be accurate, reliable, and powerful in our lives. And then he gives the Spirit of God to do what? To turn on the light so that when we read the Word of God, it starts to make sense and we can see how it's going to apply in specific areas. It's like putting chairs together with the directions. You understand which part goes where. So when it is finally assembled, it doesn't look like an airplane. It looks like a chair. It's like going down a highway with absolute confidence instead of a degree of apprehension that I might be wasting an hour of my time going in the wrong direction. It's that stopping and saying, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do in this specific situation? What does your word reveal about this situation? How should I respond to this situation? It's fascinating when you read the book of Ephesians chapter 6. The passage about spiritual warfare. It says, take up upon you the whole armor of God. Put all of it on. It just lists all the means by which God desires to protect his children. And at the end of that passage in Ephesians 6, and just put this down, verse 17, God says this. One offensive weapon marks a soldier, a child of God's. He says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Folks, when you face temptation... When you face fears and concerns, what God wants you to do is take the sword of the Spirit and slice them with the truth of God's Word. Put them to death with the truth of God's Word. Fight off the enemy with the truth of God's Word. Let the revealed Word of God, inspired by God in Scripture, illuminated by, illuminated by the Spirit, change how you live. Paul's expressed to these people glorious truth that is so deep. It is the wisdom of God. It is the deep riches of God, as he says in verse 11. It is glorious. Revealed, inspired, illuminated to change our lives so that we can live for the glory of God. The Holy Spirit, therefore, working in our lives is similar to the check engine light in your car. Kind of. I have a check engine light on in my car. I still drive my car. Somebody's given me a guess of what it might be. And I'm still driving. How many of you this morning, seriously, have a check engine light on in your car? Okay? Yeah. A good number of you, right? The Holy Spirit is in light, going down the road of light. As you're seeking to make a turn, he is he's the check engine light that comes on. Don't do what I'm doing in my car. Okay, I have a pretty good idea. It's catalytic converters, nothing serious. Expensive, but nothing serious. I don't have to deal with it till inspection. So I'm, I'm ignoring that light. But you know what? There's a judgment day coming. But I'm going to have to reckon with that light. The same thing is true for every Christian. The truth is, a lot of us, the light goes on. The sense of the prick of the Spirit of God saying, no, 
No. Not that. This. In terms of morality and what's appropriate to watch in terms of entertainment. The light goes on. Please understand this. The Spirit of God is bringing the truth of His Word to light. He's putting it on, flashing on the screen. When I ignore that light, because this is the revealed will and Word of God, when I ignore that light, I am ignoring God. Folks, I'm conscious of something. When I get up to preach the Word of God, even if I proclaim it clearly and in a way that is interesting, if our hearts are not responsive to what the Spirit of God is saying. It makes no difference. Whereas the key is not, do I know what God says about this or that issue? That is not the question. The question is, when I know what God says about a specific issue, do I yield to the light? Do I make the adjustments that it's indicating need to be made? Or do I foolishly go on in my life and ignore it? Every Christian faces two choices when they hear the Word of God. They can obey and conform. They can disobey and ignore. The Spirit of God comes to do a glorious work in our lives, to make God's truth known so that our lives can be dramatically different. They can be distinct. Why? Because there are two kinds of people in this world. There are people who know Christ and people who do not know Christ. The people who know Christ have the blessed work of the inspiration of the Spirit of God. They know the Word of God and should live different. And there's a watching world out there. A watching world who needs to know God. They are people in the flesh. All they have is the capacities and faculties they were born with. They need someone who knows the Spirit of God to come along and communicate the inspired Word of God, the revealed Word of God through the Spirit of God so that their life can be changed. Will you be that person who yields to the prompting and sensing and direction of the Spirit of God? Will you pick up the direction book and say, God, I want to live by this. And can I encourage you to do this? To go to God and say, God, thank you for this. Thank you for this. Because I wouldn't know your mind and heart unless you revealed it to me. I, what I deserve is your judgment. But this book tells me that you love me through Jesus Christ. This book changed my life as a young man and has the power to do that in yours, not only to save you, but to give you a life worth living. Will you yield to what the Spirit of God is saying to you this morning as He turns the lights on in life? Will you obey Him? Let's bow in prayer together this morning. Thank <laughs> you.